So the Bible says you will know the truth and the truth will free you. But what does that apply to? What's it really about? And what does that have to do with what the world says about your identity? Great questions. And that's what we're going to dig into today on Bible Study Live. Hey, good morning, good morning, and welcome to Bible Study Live with Matt. I'm Matt, and it is 6.49 a.m. Central Daylight Time in Sparta, Tennessee. Why are we doing it this early today? That is such a great question. I don't really want to be up this early either, but my wife had a call at 6.30 in the morning, so we always do our morning devotionals together, and that meant getting up at 5.30 this morning to do that. Uh, so that we could begin our day. So it's an early day, but it's going to be a good day. Hey, I want to talk to you guys. Um, I'm going to wrestle with you guys about something. My wife and I have the privilege and honor of teaching at uh, Life Church in Sparta this coming Wednesday night for midweek. And we get to talk about what it means to be a follower of Jesus and how to live it out. But as I was doing uh, my devotional with my son Liam this morning, we do uh, we do a devo together. There's a verse from John 32 that stood out to me, and it, and it just reminded me that I wanted to wrestle with this. Um, and the verse is, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's how it's worded in the Christian Standard Bible. Um, but uh, I love how the message words this. John 8, 31 and 32 said, Then Jesus turned to the Jews who claimed to believe in him. If you stick with this, living out what I tell you, you are my disciples for sure. Then you will experience for yourselves the truth, and the truth will free you. What is the truth? What is Jesus talking about? What? How does this apply to our lives? Those are all really great questions. But the truth I'm going to wrestle with today is this. It's, it's who are you? Who are you? Who are you in relationship to God? Who are you in relationship to Jesus? Our identity is a big thing. And when it comes to being able to discern truth, a lot of that is going to come back to who we believe we are in relationship to God. Who are you in relationship to God? That's going to determine a lot about the, the truth that you believe or don't believe. Who are you in relationship to, to Jesus? What did Jesus really do for you? So those are some things we're going to wrestle with a little bit this morning. But we'll, of course, we're going to do that through the scriptures. Now, like I try to remember to say at the beginning of every Bible study live, couple things. One, the whole point of this is to create conversation without condemnation. We're not going to agree on our interpretation of everything in the scriptures. Now you might say, who are you to interpret? That's a different Bible study live. But here's the deal. Um, I believe God's word is alive and it's still speaking to us today. And so when we read through these things, sometimes we've been taught different things growing up. We've had different pastors with different perspectives. Some of them have done the research and done the digging and have a deeper understanding and some don't. But here's the truth. The Bible is alive. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a follower of Yahweh, God, the only one and only God, then God's Holy Spirit is living inside of you and God's word is alive. Okay. So as we read through this, we may not agree on everything but we're not going to argue about it, right? Our goal is to create some conversation without condemnation. So feel free to leave comments as I'm going through this Bible study live this morning. Feel free to wrestle with it out loud. Feel free to say, hey, this isn't what I was taught, or this is what I was taught, or share those things. I mean, that's how we grow. That's how iron sharpens iron, okay? So um, <clears throat> that's the first thing, is that, uh, you know, we're trying to create that conversation, and we're not always going to agree, but we're not going to fight about it. Second thing is this, regardless of which... Um, Translation you're reading, NIV, NLT, NET, the message, the Christian Standard Bible, the King James, New King James, ESV, they're all telling the same story, okay? So you may have a preferred Bible translation. Cool. I like to share from different ones because I think uh, we can learn a lot of different things as we wrestle through them. And today we're going to read from the New English translation. One of the reasons I dig it is because um, the footnotes are more of a translator note to say here's why it was translated this way uh, in the NET. Uh, here, here's the original Greek or Aramaic or Hebrew, and here's why we chose to translate it this way. So pretty fun stuff. But today we're going to wrestle with truth and identity, and um, I'll share a couple things what prompted this for me. One, um, the, this devotional that, I, that I'm reading with my son um, in the uh, in the YouVersion Bible app, um, 
it uh, it's called level up big growth through small actions and today i was talking about um how we can't mature in our faith community alone right we're designed to be in community well why 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 would we why would being in community be a big part of our walk with christ and and becoming a, a, a godly person well in jesus day if we look back there were different you know factions of people there was divisiveness and division back then too, right? But you had like Pharisees, Sadducees, you had the Essenes. And um, if you're not familiar with who the Essenes are, they were folks who, man, they were like, this world's so corrupt. We need to, we need to get out of it. We need to not be, um, we need to not like be around this. They, they had that escapism mindset, you know, like let's, let's just get away from the world and just be in the scriptures because that's the way to do it. And the problem with that is if we if we hide in the Bible and we hide in our prayer closet and we never step out into the world, we never have an opportunity to make disciples. We never have an opportunity to bring God's kingdom further in the earth because we're too busy burying our head in the scripture and 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 staying on our knees in prayer so we never have the ability to impact people so there's a time for prayer we do need to be in prayer we do need to be in the scriptures but we also do need to be in community with one another because the other thing is if we're not in community with one another how can we hold each other up right how can that cord of three strands be hard to break when we're a cord of one strand <laughs> and it makes it a little impossible, right? So today we're going to wrestle with a couple things in Scripture. We're going to wrestle through a little bit of John. We're going to wrestle through a little bit of Matthew. But we're going to share some of the things that Jesus said. But part part of why this has been so big on my heart, so heavy on my heart, is I've been seeing a lot of stuff on TikTok and Instagram lately about Boston's Children's Hospital, talking about toddlers knowing that uh, that their their gender needed to be changed when they were you know two and three years old. They could see that they were transgendered. And my heart just breaks because I'm like, for a couple of reasons. One, all little boys and girls, you know, think different things, right? Like they're like, oh, you know, if a, if a little boy is raised with mom, he might lean toward effeminate traits when he's little. Or a little girl may, you know, who's who's raised by a single dad. She might be into things that we would consider traditionally masculine, you know, hunting fish and stuff like that. It doesn't mean the kid needs to have their junk sewn up or lopped off. It just means they're into the things that their parents are into, right? Because we learn as we grow. Right? So there's some challenges going on in the world when would we see someone say that a child uh, knows that their gender is wrong when they're a young child. What we're really saying is this child knew God was wrong about who they're supposed to be. But the challenge with that is the child has never even had the opportunity to hear what God says about who they are and who they were created to be. Because God doesn't make mistakes. In the beginning, he made a male and female. Both are created in his image. And humanity, as broken as we are, out of all the things God created, we're the only things that he said, this is very good. So I don't believe God makes mistakes, but I do believe that we struggle with our identity sometimes. And what do I mean by we struggle with that? I don't, I don't mean everyone struggles with the identity of what their gender is. I think if you look in the mirror and look at your parts, you know what your gender is. But what I mean is I think we struggle to understand who God created us to be and to realize that we have a purpose in our life that is going to be bigger than just existing. And sometimes when we don't understand that purpose, we do struggle to go, where do I fit in? So today I want to talk to you about, well, I want to talk to you about what the Bible says about who we are and about the power of the truth. So let's just dig right into the scriptures. If you want to open up your Bibles with me, we're opening up to John chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. And this is a conversation that Jesus is having with uh, the Judeans. Some some scriptures translate it to the Jews, but uh, the New English translation, translation, the Greek translation says to the Jews. In New Testament usage, uh, laudiao, mangled that, I'm sure, uh, may refer to the entire Jewish people or the residents of Jerusalem surrounding territory, right? Uh, the authorities in Jerusalem, or merely those hostile to Jesus. So this just kind of gives you a little backstory. It says here the phrase refers to the Jewish people in Jerusalem who had been listening to Jesus' teaching in the temple and believed his claim to be Messiah. Hence why the NET chose to translate to those Judeans who 
believed him. The term Judeans is preferred here more than general people because the debate concerns the descent of Abraham. This is why I love the NET, because they get into the minutiae of that kind of stuff. So let's read this. John chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. It says, Then Jesus said to those Judeans who had believed him, If you continue to follow my teaching, you are really my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, let's continue. We are descendants of Abraham, they replied, and have never been anyone's slaves. How can you say you will become free? Jesus answered him, I tell you the solemn truth, everyone who practices sin is a slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the family forever, but the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be really free. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, but you want to kill me because my teaching makes no progress among you. Let me see this. Finds no place in you is the other way that could be translated. It says, I'm telling you these things I've seen while with the father. As for you, practice the things, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> I've, uh, I'm telling you the things I've seen while with the father. As for you, practice the things you have heard from the father. Okay, so let's just, can we um, touch on a couple things here? There's another scripture verse where Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, right? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is it. Now, as he's having this conversation with these folks who claim to, you know, many claim to believe that he is who he says he is, here's something interesting. He says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, Jesus claimed to be the truth, not just to share the truth, not just to talk about the truth, but he called himself the truth. So he's saying to them, if you truly know me, then you'll know freedom. And they're like, wait a minute, but we've never been slaves, right? How are you even saying this to us, Jesus? And Jesus goes, look, if you're living in sin, you're a slave to sin. Now, <clears throat> what is sin? Sin is choosing a life apart from God right? It's choosing a life apart from God's ways. So when we look at today's world, the reality is we are, we are living in a world where we're slaves to sin. You know, when it comes to our, our identity and the truth about who we are and who God created us to be, if we're believing that we have my truth, right? And I'm not talking about your life experiences. Those are different. You've had life experiences. So there are things that you're going to understand that someone else doesn't understand. There are experiences you've had that other people haven't had. Those are true. And so, but the challenge is people have, like everything today, they've redefined a, a, a word to fit what they want versus changing their life to fit what the words mean. And so we've adopted things like saying, my truth, this, my truth, that, without going, but what is the core truth, right? Because my truth, right, is that I was raised uh, in a poverty level income. My truth is that I, I dealt drugs after high school and, uh, and had a moment where I almost got killed. My truth is that I grew up watching my dad run through women like, uh, like he was changing his clothes and, and it formed a belief system in me that relationships were disposable and that uh, as long as they were fun, they were good. And if they weren't, then they were garbage, which shaped things for me as I grew up in, in the way that looking at how men and women relate, uh, I just was in an over-sexualized culture growing up thinking that, that sexuality is what just defined you as a man uh, and the ability to, to uh, you know, have sexual encounters with multiple people. That's what made you a man is being able to hook up with a bunch of women. And what made you a man was knowing when to cut it off when things were done and when you didn't get along. And it was wrong. It was just, it was, I was living in a way that was a life of sin that I'd learned, right? So I could go, well, my truth is, but no, it's not my truth. It's my life experience. It's true that I experienced those things. But that's not, it, you know what it is? It was, I was, I was listening to the father of lies, right? The enemy, Satan. So as we, as we wrestle with this, one of the things that I see Jesus saying to these folks is, look, you say you believe in me, you say I'm who I am, but the way you live doesn't align with what you know or what you say you know. And Jesus says, if you know the truth, the truth will free you. Correction. He said, if you continue to follow my teaching, you are really my disciples. So what was Jesus teaching? Well, 
bring it into that, right? Love God, love others. That was at the core of all of Jesus' teaching. So he says, if you continue to follow my teaching, if you continue to love God with everything you've got, if you continue to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself, then you're truly my disciples. Because that was the core of Jesus' teaching, right? It was the greatest commandment. He says, and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So let's just break just those verses down. If you continue to follow my teaching, his core teaching, love God, love others, then you're really his disciple. And which means, and as a result, so if you're truly, if we're truly his disciple, if we're truly love God, love others, then, right, and you will know the truth. Well, Jesus is the truth, right? And he says, and the truth will set you free. So he will free us, right? He will bring us that freedom from sin that we so desperately, desperately need. And listen, people go, well, you know, but Jesus didn't really go through what I went through. And Jesus didn't really do this. And Jesus didn't do that. Well, let's look at the temptation of Jesus. Let's look what he, what he did go through, right? Setting aside his crucifixion and all the horrible things he went through. Let's look at something he went through that maybe we can relate to. At least, <clears throat> let me just say this not relate to in the exact same way because obviously we didn't have you know the exact same experience but to let you understand jesus was tempted he was he was given moments of temptation and this is the interesting thing so there's this debate where people will still wrestle with did jesus set aside his divinity when he came to earth was he fully man or was he fully god because the bible says jesus being both fully god and fully man fully god in heaven but choosing to leave that power there so that when he came to earth and he put on skin like you and I, Jesus had to fully rely on God, which is why when he went to his hometown, he couldn't, he couldn't do miracles. He couldn't do those things. It says because the people didn't believe. Well, guess what? Because they didn't believe God didn't funnel his power through Jesus. So when Jesus came here and many scholars disagree and you could disagree with me here too. But from what I see in the scriptures, when Jesus put on skin and came to earth he put on all of it he became fully man meaning he he would be tempted see being tempted isn't sin giving in to the temptation is the sin right jesus became fully man so he would experience pain he would experience temptation he would experience hurt right he weep when he saw his friend die uh so jesus came here to to have the full human experience to show us what was possible when relying fully on God, okay? So now let's dig into the temptation of Jesus. When then, uh, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So this was for a purpose. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for the purpose of being tempted by the devil. After he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was famished. The tempter came and said, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered, it is written, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Let's pause right there. The, the first problem the devil brings is he, he challenges Jesus' identity. If you are the son of God, then do this magic pony trick, you know, jump through these hoops for me. If you're truly who you say you are, prove it by doing, doing a little magic for me. Do a little Jesus magic. If you're really God's son, see the first lie that the devil tried to perpetuate or insinuate was that you're not who you think you are. You're not who God said you are. Come on, does that sound familiar today when you look at the world? You're not who you think you are. Your whole life you've thought this, but you're not really. Your whole life you've thought you were a man, but maybe you're not. Maybe maybe you're supposed to be a woman. Your whole life you've thought you were a woman, but maybe you're not. Maybe you're supposed to be a man. Your whole life you've thought you were loved by God, but no, maybe you're not because you're going through these hard times. See, Jesus, 40 days of fasting, and he's famished. So at the time of his weakest point, isn't it funny the enemy likes to attack when you're at your lowest? You know why? Because the enemy knows he doesn't have any power over God's children. He doesn't have power over you. So of course he's going to wait until Jesus is at his weakest. He already knows Jesus stepped down and put on skin. He stepped into the realm of a broken world to rescue it. And what does he do? He comes to him and he goes, hey, if you're the son of God. He doesn't say, hey, you Knowing you're the son of God, you have the ability to do this. He says, hey, if you're the son of God, 
do this thing. So he plays on the hunger Jesus has. He plays on, on the situation Jesus is in, and he takes that opportunity to question his identity. Hey, if you're really God's son, do this. So the first thing we can learn from this temptation that Jesus went through when he says, whoa, 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 man, doesn't live on bread alone, is that Jesus knew his identity, so he didn't even address it. He didn't go, well, I am the son of God. Let, you know, let me prove it to you. Jesus didn't for a moment stop and go, Albeit tempted, he didn't stop and go, well, let me explain the proof of why I am who God says I am. No, Jesus was like, you know what? Man doesn't live on bread alone. Jesus was like, I'm not even going to address who you you think I am. I'm not going to argue with you over who God says I am. I am. And he goes, and the scriptures say this, you can't live on bread alone, but by the word of God. Like Jesus wasn't going to allow his identity to, to be questioned, nor should you and I, okay? So the devil doesn't give up that easy though, okay? The devil then says this, he says, then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it's written, he'll command his angels concerning you with the, and with their hands, they'll lift you up so that you won't strike your foot against stone. Jesus said to him once again, it is written, you are not to put the Lord, your God to the test. Come on. I want to talk to you about something right here at this point. Again, the devil starts a sentence with what? If your identity is this, right? If you truly are the son of God, then throw yourself down. Then, then put yourself in this harm's way. Prove it. You know, it's interesting because then the devil quotes scriptures for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you, right? You know, it's funny. I've run into people who have taken things out of context and this is exactly what Satan is doing right here with Jesus. He's taking text out of context. He's twisting. He's using twisted scriptures to try and get Jesus to jump for him. Jump for me, little puppy, jump, do a trick, do a magic trick, right? He's trying to get Jesus again, starting by questioning his identity, who he is, right? Because when our, our identity is questioned, then our value is questioned. Well, if I'm not really who I think I am, what am I worth? Am I really this? Am I really that? But the crazy part is the devil quotes scripture in doing it. And this just goes to prove not everybody, A, that knows scripture actually knows the meaning behind the scripture. I'll give you an example. I had somebody uh, come out of Bible study live once and it was like, your Bible, your God condones rape. Because in the scriptures, it says that if you rape a woman, you must take her as your wife. And I'm like, it's interesting. Just proves that somebody who knows the words doesn't always know the words, right? Like white man can't jump. You, you, you can listen to Jimmy. You don't hear Jimi Hendrix. You can know the words in the Bible, but not know the truth behind the words in the Bible. For example, that reference that the person made about the Old Testament scripture that talks about, you know, someone raping a woman must take them as their wife. And people go, well, that means the Bible condones rape. No, it does not in any way, shape or form, because God does not condone any evil. But actually, when the time that was written, what was happening was men were discarding women like that. They thought they could just rape a woman and throw her away, which, by the way, in that culture and in that day, this a woman couldn't go and work and provide for herself. So to do that was to basically sentence a woman to a life of prostitution and servitude, things like that. It's disgusting. And so God, in, in the scriptures in that writing, it was actually a way of saying, look, you cannot treat a woman like you cannot just use a woman and throw her away like that. If you want all the perks that come with marriage, you want to bed down with a woman, you got, you you have no choice but to step up and become a husband to her because a husband then was required to provide for her, to protect her, to provide her with children, to give her a life. So as, as gross as the culture was then, it was actually quite progressive that the scripture uh, the scriptures and what was written was saying, no, 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 no. You don't get to use a woman like that. You need to become a husband to a woman if you want the benefit of sex. So, albeit still imperfectly communicated in the way that it was written and translated and, and even to think about it as gross, the reality is the person didn't know even what was behind what was being written down. Right? So the devil uses scripture to twist things. 
the devil uses scripture in a twisted way to try and make his point. You know, there are people that have used the scriptures to try and say that racism is okay. If you look at the black Hebrew Israelites today, they'll only live in the Old Testament because they'll quote things to tell you basically that if your skin isn't brown, God doesn't want you. But then there are people who are white who will use the scriptures to justify different things as well. This is how a lot of horrible things have happened in the world. You look at the Crusades, they use scripture to justify killing people. Like, People will misuse the scriptures. And in this moment with Jesus, the devil misused the scriptures. But the beautiful thing was Jesus didn't allow it. Do you know why? Because Jesus knew the scriptures. Jesus knew not just the words, but the heart behind the words. And when Jesus told people the greatest commandment, love God, love others, if we use that as the gut check, if we use that as the here's what's behind the words, then every time we read the scriptures, we can go, how does this align with loving God or loving others? If it doesn't, then typically it's an example of what not to do in our lives. If it does, then often it's an example of what to do. See, that's a very good gauge for when you're reading the scriptures to go, this thing I'm reading in the Bible, is the Bible condoning it, endorsing it, telling me to live this way? Or is this something I'm learning to avoid doing, to avoid living? Well, does it teach you how to love God better and love other people better? If it doesn't, oftentimes it's a life lesson of an experience that people have that you're not supposed to replicate. If it does, then it's like, oh, I am supposed to live this way. Anyways, I digress. But so we see that with the devil, right? The devil says, hey, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. Jesus says, uh, 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 the scriptures say, don't put God to the test. It says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their grandeur. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you throw yourself to the ground and worship me. And Jesus said, go away, Satan, for it is written. You are to worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and began ministering to his needs. So the devil attacks Jesus' identity twice. If you're the son of God, if you're the son of God, if you are who you say you are, if you are who God says you are, do these tricks. Jesus says, beat it. Scriptures say this. The scriptures say this. So then the devil takes a different approach. Attacking his identity won't work. So then he takes him to a mountain and says, well, hey, I'll give you all this if you worship me right? As if it were his to give. It's not. And Jesus says, the scriptures say what? You are to worship the Lord your God and serve only him, right? So Jesus, again, spending time with God, spending time in the scriptures, he knew the truth. See, Jesus was free because he knew the truth, because he is the truth right? So he knew the truth of God's word. So Satan's saying, if you worship me, I'll give you this. Jesus knew it's not yours to give. I mean, Jesus was there when the foundation of the earth was laid, when it was all created. So for the devil to say, do this and I'll give you this, Jesus knew better. But Jesus being fully human, <clears throat> remember like any Jewish, good Jewish boy, he had to learn the Old Testament scriptures, right? <clears throat> Jesus had a very intimate relationship with the father, but one could ask, was his relationship with the father strong because of what he learned through the scriptures, because of what Mary and Joseph had taught him as a boy growing up about who, who he is, what his identity was? Was Jesus' faith so strong? Because as a little boy, his mother and father taught him, you are a child of God. You are the son of God. You were created. You have a destiny to bring your people back into relationship with God, to bring salvation for all. You are, your day means God with us. Like, was Jesus' faith strong because of what his parents instilled in him about his identity as a boy? And, and that caused him to go, I need to get to know my father in heaven. I need to get in these scriptures. And that makes us as parents go, man, am I reminding my kids of who they are? Am I reminding my kids of who God created them to be? You know, we live in a world with anxiety and depression and so many things and so many people struggling with their identity. You know, as men, we were talking about this the other day, but as men, we're taught to find our, our significance in the workplace, right? In how much we make in how many deals we close or in how many hours we work. Think about it at every family gathering or every uh, event you go to when you start meeting other guys, what do you talk about? Hey, what do you do for a living? Well, why would we ask that question? Well, maybe there's a curiosity to know. I'm just curious, you know, what do you do? But the other thing is often we're comparing our significance to one another. What do you do? Well, I'm just a tradesman. I'm just a salesman. or I'm just a, I'm just a cashier. No, no, you're not. 
You're just a child of God. You're just a man created by God to have an impact on this world. That's a beautiful thing. Your job isn't who you are. Your job is what you do. But let's continue because Jesus in Matthew chapter 22, we talk about everything, the core of everything, going back to the greatest commandment, Matthew 22, 34 through 40. So Jesus, we started by looking at Jesus said, you'll know the truth. Jesus is the truth. And the truth will set you free, free from what? Free from the life of sin that we're in, because the life of sin is a life of slavery. We're a slave to sin, right? If we're, if we're walking in that life, then we are a slave to that life. And so knowing Jesus is the only way to break that bondage, break that chain of sin, break those generational curses. And now we move to the great, you know, we saw the temptation of Jesus where the devil tried to question his identity. If you're who you say you are, if you're who God says you are, you know, if you're, if you're the son of God, do this, do this, do this. When that didn't work, if you worship me, I'll give you this. What's this? This thing of significance. I'll give you power over everything. I'll give you significance. Jesus is like, I'm already significant. I don't need that. I'm significant enough in who God created me to be. And now we move forward to when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees. What did he silence them about? The Sadducees had asked about the resurrection before this because they didn't believe in the resurrection, right? The Pharisees did, Sadducees didn't. That was their big sticking point, why they disagreed. And uh, Jesus had said, you, you guys don't even understand what it means to be the kingdom, right? So he shut them down. And now the Pharisees heard that he had silenced them. So they assembled together. And one of them, an expert in religious law. Let's look at that footnote really quick. Traditionally, a lawyer, this was an expert in interpretation of the Mosaic law. So this is a person, the person asking this question is somebody who's supposed to be top of the heap in understanding how to interpret the law of Moses. Okay. <clears throat> and here we go. That guy asked him a question. He uh, And it says to test him. Okay. So basically, um, let's look at the Greek. It says testing the per participle is telic enforced. Don't know what telic means. I'd have to Google it for you. But basically he's trying to test Jesus knowledge. So here's somebody who's known as an expert in the scriptures. And now he asks a question because he wants to put Jesus knowledge to the test. Now there's a spot in the scriptures where, um, before I read this just really quick, there's a spot in the scriptures where they go, who gave him authority to teach like this? And that word authority is shmiha. And typically that was, that authority was given by two super rabbis, like in the community, two, you know, teachers of teachers laying their hands on you, right? So you have two different known teachers laying their hands on you and giving you shmicha, the authority to interpret scripture. You, until you had been given that authority, you weren't really supposed to be an interpreter of scripture. And so it's funny because as Jesus is teaching, there is a spot in the scriptures where, where these religious leaders are going, who gave him shmicha? Who gave him the authority? But if we look back, there is a spot where that authority was given to him. One, by John the Baptist, right? In baptism. And two, by God himself, who said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased, right? So Jesus had that shmicha, that laying of hands by uh, John the Baptist, the prophet, who came to pave the way and the God of the universe who said, good enough. I would argue God, God's approval was good enough, but it's interesting that the authors of the scripture show us the two forms of approval to say who Jesus was following what the Jewish teaching would have been, because that's how they would establish that. What's up, my man, elder Corey house in the house. Thank you, sir. So it's important to understand that Jesus' authority was publicly given to him by two. And that would help those um, who understood the ways of the Jewish culture to understand that where that shmicha came from. Okay, so let's go, though. Greatest commandment. So this teacher in the religious law wants to test him, and he says, verse 36, teacher, which is great because this super, super scholar refers to Jesus as teacher, as he's trying to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Jesus said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Quote from the from um, Deuteronomy 6.5, uh, the Shema, if you will. Um, 
So it just says the threefold reference to different parts of the person says, in effect, that one should love God with all of one's being. In the Hebrew, the word um, is basically love God with all your very would be the like literal translation, which is kind of weird um, because the belief is that Jesus would have been speaking Hebrew as he was talking to fellow Jews here, even though the writings we have are in Greek. So knowing that all of your very basically meant everything you got, like your heart, soul, mind means what else have you got? Nothing, right? You've got your physical, your spiritual, your mental. So Jesus said the first and most important is to every single thing you have, you need to love God with. But Jesus didn't stop there. He said, this is the first and greatest commandment. The second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets depend on these two commands. Hang being the actual translation. Every single thing in the law and the prophets hangs on loving God and loving everyone else. So I said, when we're looking at challenging scriptures and we struggle and we go, is this a life lesson to avoid or a life lesson to adopt? Uh, we have to ask ourselves, well, is it teaching me to love God and love others? Yes, do it. No, avoid it. Not rocket science here. So Jesus, as he's wrestling with this, again, when these folks are asking, they're testing his identity again. They're testing, do you know the truth? Do you know the truth of God? And oftentimes we wrestle with that still today. But how do we do that? How do we know that's the way to go? Well, Jesus wasn't done. In John 13, 34, he talks about giving a new commandment. Now, this is interesting. I'm going to just pause here. This is interesting because Jesus calls this a new commandment. Now, we have the 10, right? <laughs> we have the big 10, right? Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Do this. Do this. Do this, right? So we have the, 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 the big 10, the 10 commandments. But it's interesting in John 13, 34 and 35, and we'll read this, but Jesus begins by saying this, this section, you know, of this beginning of the sentence says, I give you a new commandment. Now, it's interesting because in, if we go to uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus does a whole lot of you heard it says. You've heard it said this, but I'm telling you this. And the, but I tell you means you've heard it said, but you're doing it wrong. <laughs> That's the way I always look at that right? Like you've heard it said, but I say it means you've heard it said, but you're doing it wrong. <laughs> so let me tell you how to do it right. Okay. But <clears throat> I love this because in John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus says, I give you a new commandment to love one another. Let's look at this footnote. The Hina clause gives the content of the commandment. This is indicated by the dash in translation. So this little dash in the translation means this is referring to this, right? So the new commandment is to do what? To love one another. And how should we love one another? Just as I've loved you. And then Jesus repeats it. You are to love one another. Why are we to do that? It says, everyone will know that you are my disciples. How will they know that? If you have love for one another, come on, let's talk about the rule of threes here. What does he say? New commandment, love one another, just as I've loved you. You're to love one another. Everyone will know that you're my disciple if you have love for one another. So here's the thing. Man, there's so much to unpack today. As we talk about the truth and the importance of knowing the truth that we have in the world today. The truth is God made you and he doesn't make mistakes. The truth is if God made you a little boy or a little girl, he didn't make a mistake. That's who you're designed to be. That's who you're supposed to be. The truth is that we live in a world where the enemy will twist the truth, right? We, we start by saying little things like my truth is this, or we start by saying it's okay to tell little white lies, right? We start by twisting the truth. Even the devil in Jesus' weakest moment after fasting for 40 days tried to quote the scripture but twist them in a way to fit his agenda. And he started by questioning the identity of Jesus. The truth is you are a child of God. The truth is when God created humanity, he created man and woman, two separate genders, and both created in his image. God's image is in you. Whether you accept it or not, whether you realize it or not, you are a child of God and you are created in his image. And once you know that truth, it will set you free from so many burdens. It'll set you free from the burden of anxiety. It will set you free from the burden of depression. It will set you free from the tyranny of oppression that sin brings on your life just by starting with the truth that you are a child of God created 
created in God's image. Once we understand that truth of what our identity is, we can move forward in saying what? In saying, look, if that's the truth, then I have to ask, what's my relationship with my heavenly father like? Am I spending time in his word to get to know him? Am I praying so that we strengthen our relationship? Because the truth is, that's my father in heaven. Truth is, if I don't have a relationship with him, how can I expect to understand what's going on in my life? Truth is, if I have a relationship with him, then I know that all good things come from God, which means all not good things don't. Now, God allows us to go through testing, but the hurts, the pains, the sickness, the cancer, the loss, those aren't God. It's funny, even our own, even our world, we talk about when there's a catastrophe, a, a tornado, a, a typhoon, a, a tsunami, a, a hurricane, we call them acts of God. Well, God doesn't do bad things. So are they acts of God? Or are they acts of the enemy in a broken world? See, we want to attribute all the bad to God. When we don't know God, we want to attribute all the bad to God. But then when the bad's happening, we want to cry out to him and say, make it better. And he's going, oh, man. I, I was saying this to my wife. I said, I love my kids. You know what I really love? When they just check in and say hi or just say I love you, right? When you're a parent, you, you are there. You're always there for your kids, right? When they cry out to you, even if you haven't heard from them in forever. If they call out to you in a time of need, you love them and you're there, right? Like you always want to provide for your kids. You always want to help your kids. But as a parent, it also, it makes you feel good when your kids want to talk to you, when they don't need something too, when they just love you and want to say, hey, I love you. I just want to tell you I love you, dad. God, do you know that God, there's a reason that we see that God's illustrated as the father. Because the father loves his children, a good father. Now, you may struggle with that. You may say, my father wasn't good. My father didn't show me love. My father abused me. My Whatever it is, that's not what a father is supposed to be like. But God is the perfect father, and he loves you, period. We learn that the, the way, the greatest commandment, Jesus said the greatest and most important thing is to love your father with every single thing in your being. Everything he's given you, uh, he's given you as a gift, and you should love him back with all of it. And But Jesus said, and guess what? You're also supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with everything you got. Love your neighbor with yourself. But then Jesus goes on to say in John, here's a, here's a new commandment. He didn't just say, hey, this would be the cool thing because this was the greatest commandment. Love God with all you got. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus added the new commandment part is to love your neighbor as yourself. He says, here's a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I've loved you. Well, how did Jesus love us? Let me count the ways set aside all of his deity and his power to put on skin and become what we are, to experience everything that his created would experience. Hatred, temptation, people questioning his identity, his value, his worth. Love one another as I've loved you. How did he love us? He became one of us. That was step one. How else did he love us? That when he told the truth and he was persecuted for it, he didn't stop telling the truth. He continued. Even so much to the cross. God forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. But he also said something else powerful on that cross. He said it was finished. What was finished? The dominion, the reign of sin over your life was finished in that moment on the cross. He was letting you know that all of the... the the spirit of anxiety, the spirit of depression, the spirit of, of low self-worth, the questioning who you are and who you're created to be, all of it was finished in that moment on the cross. Satan's supposed victory over humanity by bringing sin into the world, that was defeated in that moment on the cross when Jesus gave his life for us. We knew the ending of the story in that moment that God would see a victory for his people, that we would be rescued from the depths of hell and we would be shown the way to heaven and the way is to follow Jesus just as he loved us. We're to love one another. He set aside his importance to show love to us. He laid down his life. The scriptures also say there's nothing that could show a better sign of friendship than to lay your life down for your friend. 
Jesus did that for us. He said, everyone will know you're with me by the love you have for one another. My Christian friends, can I challenge you with this? <clears throat> We're living in a tough time. We are. We really are. If you say boys are boys and girls are girls, you're called intolerant. Well, we were never called to be tolerant. We were called to love people. Now, uh, that doesn't mean you have to walk up and condemn and criticize either because condemnation and criticism are not acts of love. But first, we got to know the truth so that we can be free from the lies of the enemy that are speaking loud and clear in our culture, right? You're a little boy. You were born that way. You are born that way for a reason. It wasn't so that later someone could convince you that maybe you should be a girl because you're not masculine, because you don't look like Thor, right? That doesn't make you a boy or girl. You know what makes you a man? You know what makes you a woman? Loving God with everything you got and loving your neighbor as yourself. That's what makes you a man or a woman. There are a lot of 55-year-old adolescents. I was uh, I saw something this morning. Mark Driscoll happened to say this, um, but he said, uh, he was saying something. He said, that just means that you're, you're a boy who shaves, right? There are a lot of adolescent males, adult adolescent males right now. One of the biggest problems our world has right now to this day is that men are not stepping up and being the men that they should be. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put some heat on you and I, Christian men. Uh, Jesus didn't come to create a new religion. He didn't come to create Christianity. He came, you've heard it said, but I say, he came to say, you have God's holy scriptures to guide you, and you've heard it said this, but let me tell you what it means. Here's how we're to live it out, and let me simplify it for you because you guys are making it way too hard. Love God with every single thing you have. By the way, everything you have came from God. Love God with everything you've got, and then, like I do, love the people around you as much as you love yourself. Follow my example. Follow him. You'll know the truth. The truth will free you. Jesus is the truth. You want to be free from that addiction that you have. You want to be free from that alcohol addiction that you have. You want to be free from that porn addiction you have. You want to be free from that addiction to chasing after your self-worth. And just follow Jesus. Get to know him. The only way you get to know him is to crack open that Bible. Start Matthew and John. Just start reading. Get to know him. So that you can get to be freed from those feelings of self-worth being low. Those feelings that you're just not enough. The truth is, my friends, you're creating the image of God. You've always been enough. Maybe today is the first time you're hearing that. You're enough. You're more than enough. Because you're a child of God. That's the truth. Listen, if I could be praying for you, message me on social media. I would love to be praying for you. If you need a Bible, okay? Um, by the way, if you got a cell phone and you're watching this, download the Bible app. It's a great app. It's 100% free. It's by YouVersion, Y-O-U-V-E-R-S-I-O-N, YouVersion. Download it. It's free. It's got all the different translations. I would highly recommend Um if you're just getting started, read the message. It's a great translation. It hits the nail on the head, but it puts it in a language that's more modern and readable. Uh, or the New Living Translation. Or if you really want to nerd out and see why things are translated the way that they are, check out the New English Translation. All are good. Uh, those, to me, are my favorites. Um, so you could download the version app. If you don't have access to them, if you're somebody, maybe you're like, hey, man, I'm watching this from the public library, dude. On a, on a computer with some headphones plugged in because I don't have a computer and, and I'm couch surfing or maybe you're watching it at a friend's house. If you need a physical Bible and you live in the United States, um, just drop me a message with your name, address, and phone number. My wife and I will just go on Amazon and we'll ship one to you. We'll pay for it. We want to make sure that we follow what Jesus said and making disciples, making learners of Jesus. I don't believe that I can convince you to follow Jesus and become his disciple, but I do believe that hopefully that while wrestling with this in public with you, it'll cause you to ask enough questions to go, let me figure out who this Jesus is for myself. And I truly believe when you get into the scriptures and you read about who he is, you won't be able to say, uh, yeah, this is dumb. I think you'll, you'll go, oh, wow. I don't know if this is true, but if it is, I want to know this God. And then I think you'll go, hey, the more I read about this God, the more I realize it is true. And if there's a God that loves me like this, why would I ever want to follow anybody else? So if you need a Bible, 
drop me a note, name, address, and phone. We'll hook you up. We'll get one mailed to you. Uh, if you need prayer, drop me a note. We'll pray for you. Last, uh, but certainly not least, there is something I want to share with you. We have a press release coming out this week. I'm really excited. My wife and I, um, we spent some time put together a book called uh, For This Reason, How to Live in Ephesians 5 Marriage. And um, we wrote this book because we both had failed marriages. We know how to do it wrong. You know, the things that we learned growing up, the things that we experienced uh, led us into marriage the wrong way, and, and we, we failed at it. And so when we got married, we said, we're not failing again. We need we need to figure out how to how to live marriage right. And uh, and so in order to do that, we, we believe that the source is God who gave the gift of marriage in the first place. So we got, went to the scriptures. And so we wrote this book, and it's got four different movements, and each movement has two chapters where one is written by me and one is written by Dara. And we break down Ephesians 5, this section of Ephesians 5, in four different sections where we talk about what it means from a husband's perspective and a wife's perspective about how you live this marriage out, right? And we wrote this book for, for couples who are, are married and maybe their, their marriages, it might be good, but you might know it's not as good as it could be. Or for couples who go, man, it started out good, but we're ready to hang up the towel. We're ready to pull the plug. This could be something that maybe will give you a new perspective you hadn't considered. So if you want to get a hold of the book uh, on it, Amazon Kindle format or uh, you want to get a hold of the, the book um, in paperback or hardcover, you can text the word love to 833-981-0002. It will automatically text you back a link that will take you right over to Amazon so you can get the book. And um, we've got half of it recorded uh, for the audiobook version for Audible. So uh, the other half, God willing, will be done with by September. So if you want to grab a paperback copy of the book or a Kindle copy, text the word love to 1-833-981-0002 and uh, it'll automatically text you back a link to download it yourself. Standard messaging and data rate supply. Frequency varies. Have to give the disclaimers for thanks to the FCC. In the Telephone Consumer Protection Act laws, anytime you're texting, I have to say that, listen, no matter where you're at in your faith journey, no matter what your beliefs have been, no matter what lies the enemy has told you about who you are, you are loved, you are a child of God, and God wants to know you. Jesus wants you to walk with him. So can I encourage you? Just give him a chance. Open up a Bible and get to know Jesus. No matter where you're at, you're just one moment away from making the best decision of your life. And that decision is to follow Jesus. God, I just say a prayer over everybody who's tuned in watching this live, over everybody who watches this after the fact, Lord. Please bless them and keep them. Make your face shine upon them. Let your angels encamp around them and protect them from the attacks of the enemy on their identity and who they are, Lord. Help people to see your truth and know how to communicate it in a way that shares your everlasting and unconditional love. God, we thank you for loving us and for showing us the way through Jesus. Lord, give us the courage to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for tuning in. Today's Monday, so I'll see you guys tomorrow on another Bible study live where we wrestle through the scriptures. And by the way, if you're in the Sparta area, uh, Dara and I have a beautiful opportunity. Thank you, Brother Corey. You be blessed too, my friend. And uh, hey, I'm going to be in Murfreesboro on Wednesday, Corey. So, uh, oh, so glad you jumped on here, bro. I'm going to be in Murfreesboro Wednesday morning speaking at a little um, awesome event. And I'm so excited. I get to be the first speaker at it um, ever. So that's pretty exciting, a networking event. But uh, I'm going to message you, bro. We need to connect uh, after the event's over. Maybe grab lunch on Wednesday uh, before I go pick up my stepdaughter from school. So uh, let's try and connect if you're if you're available, bro. I would love to do that. Uh, anyways, listen, um, you guys, I will see you tomorrow on Bible Study Live. Uh, go out there and make your day and hopefully someone else's amazing.